to the podcast from the Eagle Community Church of Christ. We're here in Mont Bellevue, Texas, and we are so thankful that you're joining us. Today we finish up our series called Stranger Stories. So throughout this month, we have talked about just some of the otter stories within the, the Old Testament uh, and New Testament as well. And we, we talked about Jonah. We talked about Elijah. Last week, we talked about, uh, as Jordan brought the lesson, he talked about Moses. This week, we talk about us and our involvement within this grand narrative we find in the Bible. And I think one of the maybe strangest stories is the ways in which we walk away from God, yet he still pursues us. That's what we uh, go into this week, and, and I hope it's encouraging uh, and challenging to you to kind of uh, put yourself within this story. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If, uh, after Jordan's remark, you know, I'm holding this. And I'm thinking, you know, I could mess him up on the song, <laughs> but that would that would include all of you guys too. So I didn't, you hadn't said anything like that. I, I did make it to the singing last week, uh, Sunday evening, where Paul uh, rushed up to me to tell me how good of a job Jordan had done. Uh, Paul, in fact, said that's the best sermon I have heard in months, <laughs> and uh, so I, pre- I appreciate that as well. Uh, a uh, little, uh, little jab at myself there. Thank you very much. I'll never take off another Sunday. Um, <laughs> no, thanks again, uh, Jordan, for filling in. It's, uh, it's wonderful. Uh, again, we, we end today on our series. If I, I don't know if I can turn this on yet. There we go. Uh, we've been talking about stranger stories from the Bible. And I hope you've enjoyed this series. I have because we have taken large chunks of Scripture and we've got to experience or relive those, those stories that uh, we, we've probably known for a long time. But a lot of you, as we've gone through some of them, I didn't remember that. It's been a long time since we talked about that. And so I, I hope that's what this, this series has brought out for you because there's something special about stories in our lives. We remember stories, right? Uh, and that's actually why, you know, in a, a very illiterate society, that these people could retell uh, the work of God is because that's what they did. They went around telling the story about God. Because, you know, when you, when you think about story, those, those pictures use your imagination. You probably now, if you sat through the sermon on Jonah, you probably now have a mental picture of, of Jonah sold up with a plant over him, Right? Or you've got him, you know, just just running from God. You you've got him, you know, yelling. You've got whatever I did, you know, that week. And the same thing for Elijah. Now you're trying to figure out, right, what does it look like for ravens to bring you food? Again, probably not a, a, a patty melt from Whataburger. How did that work? And then last week, as as Jordan is detailing, you know, Moses striking the rock. Now you're using your mind, and and those stories stick with us. Probably better than a lot of. Sermons where we don't go into as much scripture and paint a, a, a picture like that. Uh, stories are important for us. One thing about the Bible, uh, if you didn't grow up hearing like broader stories, sometimes we, I've said several times, we focus so closely that we miss the entire forest. We're just sitting here studying a bark on one tree. 
And so for a lot of us, that ends up making it to where we think we have a, a kind of a warped vision of what the Bible actually is. Some of you may be sitting here right now thinking that if you open your Bible, all you're going to find is a, a list of rules. But those of you who study your Bible completely and you read it, you know that that's not what the Bible is at all. The Bible is telling you a story about God. And, and that, that plays out through his people, through the people he creates, through uh, their adventures, their, their walking away. And, it, and it's kind of like if you've, if you've watched the show, This Is Us. I mean, that's kind of, if nothing else, just the title. All right, this is who we are. This is the picture you're going to get. All right, and, and maybe it's Modern Family, where you, you get a picture of, you know, a lot of people who are related and you have a common story, but they're different. They're all different, right? That's closer to what the Bible is than thinking it's a list of rules that you open and, and find, which is always interesting as if God, uh, though he loved us so much, he gave us a, some kind of rule book, but he hid the rules where you got to find them because that's not what scripture is. Scripture is telling you about who God is and how much he loves you. And so today we're going to talk about really the story of us which is the Bible. And I hope that's the way when you pick up your Bible, you're not, you're not reading that just as a, well, here's what they did. Well, this is our spiritual family. This is, this is a continuation. We are a continuation of that story today. And so we could, we could go, this is us or modern family, because this, this is us today, a continuation of God's people walking the earth. And so we're going to cover a couple of different uh, places in Scripture where uh, we kind of go away from God, that we decide that God's love is not good enough for us. We want something different. We start today in Genesis chapter 3, and this is the fall, as you know it, and it's probably labeled as such in your Bible. You remember the story. God has given Adam and Eve this perfect garden. I asked a couple of weeks ago, would you like to have a place in your life that was created for you, and it was perfect. You have no bills. You have no taxes. You probably don't even have to mow the yard. Now, if you like mowing the yard, you have to mow the yard, okay? Don't lose that. But it is made completely for you where God is going to dwell with you. He's going to shower his love on you. The only thing is you can't eat from that one tree. You can have everything else. What about that one tree? Would you sign up for that right now, folks? Like, like I think I shared that day I was talking about that. Uh, you know, Evan watches us and sees what we do, and, and you know, he kind of, he's very intuitive that way, and he just looks at us one day. He's like, being a grown-up sounds hard. Like, yeah, it is. So I'm trying to put the fear into him right now. You're like, you need to enjoy being a kid. Uh, it's Logan's fifth birthday today, by the way. So you see him, uh, wish him happy birthday. But he is so, just like probably we all are, he was so excited when he went to bed last night. Katie and I were trying to like make it like, hey, you'll never be four again. You know, we're, we're, having, the, we're having the parent thing, you know, we're, we're shedding tears. And he's like, I'll never be four again. You know, I'll be five. And that's what he, the first thing he got up this morning. He's like, you can't call me four anymore. You can't call me a four-year-old. 
I am five. I want to grow up. I want to, I want to change. You know, I want to, I want to get out of here. And, and that's what we, you know, we all, we all try to rush through life. We need to, we need to enjoy it. And, and so because we don't enjoy it, we just take things for granted. Well, we're not okay with just the one tree being out, right? I can't have everything and not the one tree. I've got to have that as well. Now, look at this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from uh, the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You hear that? The serpent was very crafty. And so what the serpent does there is just puts that shadow of a doubt in, in Eve's mind in this, in this instant, saying, you know what? You, you can do that. God's holding out on you. You want to experience life to the fullest. What you need to do is eat of the tree, which is interesting that God puts the tree in the middle, right? Couldn't God put that like on the edge somewhere, like surround it with barbed wire or something? I don't know. I say barbed wire. Barbed wire? From Arkansas, sorry. Is it, is, what do y'all say? Barbed wire? Okay. It's like Chunk and Chuck, you know. Up, up north is Chuck. Here is it's Chunk. Okay. We, we got that figured out. Thank you all for sitting by as we do that. But, but, but notice, it's just not enough. All Eve needs in this moment, and, and consequently Adam, is just a suggestion that God is holding out, that what God has provided is not enough for you. It's not the way it seems. And we know the rest of that story, don't we? It's not a good one for mankind. The reason it's called the fall, right? It's because you had it all. You had everything in the midst of God's garden, and you said, no thanks. I'd like some more. And everybody else in here said, I'd sign up for that right now, yeah. Exodus 32, uh, Jordan talked about Exodus last week. Um, we talk about the calf, the golden calf, and we're going to read that really quickly. But remember the story of the Israelites that Jordan shared with you. You know, they, they have been in captivity in Egypt. They wanted out so badly. God came to it. God heard their cry, as Scripture says. God goes down to them, and he's like, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to release these people from Pharaoh. So he sends all of these plagues, and they, they get to witness these things. They get to witness the angel of the Lord passing over their place, saving the firstborn. Then they are released. That's what they wanted. They get out into the wilderness, and then all of a sudden, here comes Pharaoh's army. But God says, you know what? You're trapped. Water's not a big issue for me. I'm going to part it. You're going to go through. And the people do that, and they get to experience this miraculous thing. So they see God at work very real in their life right, right before them. And then you get just a few verses down or a few chapters down in Exodus, and then you come to this. When the people saw Moses had been gone on the mountain, remember this? When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down, he was taking too long, from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. He's taking too long. You know that Moses guy that was with us for a little bit? That's what it sounds like, right? We don't know where he's gone. So you have experienced the working of God right in your midst. 
You say, you know what? We're, we're kind of missing something here. Would you make us gods to go before us? Now, how's that going to work out, folks? It's just like when we talked about the kings. Remember, when we talked about Saul. We talked about David. Said, hey, we need a king before us to go out and fight our battles. What happened to Saul and David? What'd they do? They were sitting at the house, weren't they? Saul's okay with a young man, David, going and fighting for him. David, when it says in the spring, when kings go off to war, he's at home noticing, you know, with his binoculars, got Bathsheba over across the way. And so here, they are wanting something else. Yeah, God's given us something, you know, we've seen all these miracles. You, you, uh, you rescued us from Egypt. How'd they like that, by the way? Yeah, as soon as they got out in the wilderness... The complaining begins. Those of you who have, I'm looking at the Johnsons here. Those of you who have teenagers, I mean, that's, that's how it goes, right? We want to do this, and you get out, and oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Now, my kids are like that. When are we going to get there? I'll tell you when we're going to get there. You will see it. Evan would do that when we lived in Arkansas. We lived about 30 minutes from my parents. And he knows every road, every tree between where we live and my mom and dad's. And he would still ask, are we there? Like, we have to go by a big warehouse or lumber mill. I said, did you miss the mill? No, I hadn't seen it yet. Do we have to go buy it before we get to mom's? He calls her Dee Dee. Yeah. Okay, why are you asking, you know? And so the complaining keeps going. And so that's what you see here is we're just not happy. Would you give me something right now? And this is, this is really, uh, maybe it's the first, I don't know. What have you done for me lately? Anybody know that, that phrase? Oh, sure, all that was great. But what have you done for me lately? That Moses fella, he's, he's gone up on a, a mountain. He's old. He's probably dead up there, right? So let's create some gods to go out before us. We don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Is that true? <laughs> They're trying to force fit this. What have you done for me lately? I would like an image. I would like something to look at to proclaim my allegiance to. Do you remember Aaron's response to this when Moses asked about it? How'd the golden calf get here? Y'all remember that from scripture? What did somebody tell me what he said? He just said, I don't know what happened. I was sitting around a campfire and out comes this calf. Anybody ever had that happen at deer camp? You out there roasting marshmallows or whatever? You got, you got the Dutch oven cooking beans and all of a sudden the golden calf comes out. You got to explain it to the Lord. Lord, I had anything to do with that. It's crazy, right? But that's what that's the links people will go to to just do whatever they want to do and not follow God. And that's the case over and over in Scripture. We could pick out numerous things in the Old Testament. Continue that line. Uh, we've talked recently about uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where we kind of saying, you know, let's use that out of context a lot of times because God punished them because. They had become so wicked, they, he allowed them to go into exile. And he said, yeah, I'm going to take care of you. I'm gonna, I have plans to prosper you. I have plans to you know, do all of these things. It's going to take 70 years, by the way. But I have these plans. 
And so there's the story of, of the Old Testament especially is just that on-again, off-again relationship that we have with God. How many of you uh, are all about on-again, off-again relationships? Like, that's just your thing. Nobody claiming that one? Like, I really don't like commitment. Like, if we could just, you know, when we want to, you know, when the mood strikes me, we'll hang out. Is that what y'all look, young people, is that what y'all look for in a... Y'all just married, so it's not y'all. Y'all committed. Y'all went for that. Okay. Nobody wants that, right? But that's what you see over and over is is the drawing closer and then pulling away. We get to the New Testament, John eight, and uh, I've named this the dispute because uh, John chapter eight is basically all disputes against Jesus. These religious leaders have a big problem with who he is and who he says he is. And so all throughout the chapter, that's what you're getting is, is Jesus having to rebut these, these religious leaders. And so uh, I have started here in, in verse 31 uh, of John chapter 8, just a part of this whole thing. You want to go read all the things that Jesus encountered, please do. But John 8, 31 says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, we like that verse, right? Everybody like that verse? Like, that's one you know, right? If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, what does he mean by that? If you are my what? Disciples. Okay, well, what does that mean? We are deciding to follow Jesus. We're going to follow him. So we are his disciples. It's not just a, I know something that's wonderful. No, it's, it's I am choosing to have my life reflect Jesus Christ. I'm going to be a disciple. So if you do that, then you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, if you are his disciple. And it says, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? They are offended. Because for them, it is all about ancestry. Where did we come from? We are Abraham's kids. Don't you know that, Jesus? We haven't been slaves of anyone. You hear kind of a, an arrogance in that, right? Maybe it's not complete arrogance. I think it is. But, but yeah, this is, how can you say that, that we will be set free as if we were slaves to something? And look at Jesus' response. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Any sinless people in this audience? I saw you go for the eye there. I, I thought, man, he's going to raise his hand. I don't, I don't have a, an out from here, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we're all sinners. That's what Jesus said. Yes, this applies to you because you do sin. It doesn't matter who your, your great, 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 great grandpa was, right? As if that meant something. You stand on uh, you know, the family name or something. No, it doesn't matter. You are slaves to sin. If you sin, you're a slave to sin. And it says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. You're getting that. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what he's saying is, you know, you're, you can be, you know, an outsider in this. If you are just a slave, you're just an outsider. But if you are a son, you are part of the family. I don't know if that's the case everywhere, but... I told you guys I'm adopted, and one of the, the laws is, at least in Arkansas, is that if you are adopted, you can't be left out of the will. Is that, y'all have heard that before? Some of you shaking your head. Okay, 
Some of you shaking your head the wrong way, but you know, some of you shaking your head. Yeah, and so if you're adopted and you become a son, you, you can't be left out of the will. Now, it's kind of crazy that a natural born could be, but if you're adopted, like, hey, you, are, you have committed. You're going to be a part of this family. You can't be left out of the will. And, and so that's what he said. You know, if, if the son who is a part of this family sets you free, you will be free indeed. He said, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. Yeah, you're looking for a way to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Now, he's setting up the uh, who is actually your father here. Um, he, says, he says, because you have no room for my word. Well, why is that? Hard, hard. Somebody said hard, hard. That's right. Part of having a hard heart a lot of times is thinking that you already have all the answers. Because if you have all the answers, there's no reason to not have a hard heart. Like, there's no reason to let anything else in. I don't need to be open to new information because I have already gotten all of the information. I am already correct. He says, you have no room for my word. He said, though I am telling you what I have experienced or what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you're only doing what you have heard from your father. And look at this. They say, Abraham is our father. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would, not, uh, then you would do what Abraham did. What did he just tell them they were doing? You're trying to kill me. They are so uh, focused and upset on Jesus that they have decided it is worth killing him over. And Jesus says, if you were actually Abraham's kids, you would do what Abraham did, which was what? Have faith in God, right? To follow God. Okay? You would, you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man has told you the truth that I heard from God. Uh, Abraham did, did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. And that sets them off. We are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. Okay? You hear the back and forth here. Jesus is kind of throwing it out there, and they're hearing what he's saying, finally, and it's negative against them. We are not illegitimate. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my, from, on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. How many times did Jesus say as he was teaching, he who has ears to hear, let him what? Yeah. He who has ears to hear, let him put his heels in the sand and say, I've already, I've already learned it all. We need to be open to hear what Jesus is saying. We're, we're, these religious people, that's who he's talking to here. These are church people. These are people who sit in the pew, in the, in the chair. Yet, they're upset enough to kill a person. Jesus said, you can't even hear uh, what I say, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I love that part. Like When you talk, when you lie, uh, when, when, when the devil is doing this, he is speaking his native language, which, is, which are lies. If you're talking, you're lying. Anybody know anybody like that? Um, yeah, I do too. 
Like, I'm not sure how deep in this lie you are, but, you know, I don't think you can keep it straight anymore. And so what they have done is they have told themselves the lie that they are right. They're not open to hearing from God anymore. They've already arrived. They already know it. They have hard hearts. They have closed ears. No, thank you. I'm good. But notice that this is a part of the story where God, though uh, time and time again we have pulled away from him, this is another way that God just reaches out to us, sending his own son. The the verse I gave Tammy for this week is, is in your bulletin. It said that he wouldn't even spare his own son in order to create that relationship with you. God is out there trying to do the work, and we're, we're constantly withdrawing and moving away. Jesus says this, Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. They have sold themselves a truth that they only belong to God when in all actuality, their their actions say something completely different. Can you believe that? That we could live a life that we come to church and that we uh, sit in the pews and we sing songs and we, we talk about how good God is, but we could be so far from God that Jesus could actually say that you do not belong to God. And what he points out is their actions here. You, you just want to kill me. I mean, do you see this? Exhibit A, you and how you act. I don't know of uh, many stranger stories than this. That I don't, know what, I don't know what is stranger here, <laughs> that God would create us and love us uh, so much that he would continually take our moving away from him and him still pouring out, that we would, we would see this as, as something that we just need to get more of or uh, we don't like the way it's going, so we want something different. That is a strange story, isn't it? I've got uh, uh, one, more, one more thing, and then I'll, I'll leave some, leave some uh, notes with you. Luke 23, I wanted to, to point this out, is Jesus' crucifixion. <laughs> So Jesus has experienced all that, I mean, his whole ministry was basically, uh, you you find a microcosm there in what we just read, that as he went, there were certainly some healings and some wonderful things, but everywhere he went, Jesus was attacked. He was, hey, you can't do that here. You can't heal on the Sabbath day, which Jesus, by the way, if you're uncomfortable with uh, somebody prodding you, that's what Jesus did. He tried to heal on the Sabbath day just to show them how important it was and how much God cares about people's healing. Over and over and over in John, you'll see that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and they were angry about it. But that is what Jesus' ministry was, is over and over just taking abuse for things that were wonderful, healing, setting people free. I don't like that, Jesus. And then you get to his crucifixion. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So the response of our Savior after a life of abuse 
ending in crucifixion, his response on the cross is Second Amendment rights, I've got a gun. Well, that hurts. I, I'm sorry, I stepped on a bunch of toes, didn't I? But, but how many, I mean, let's just be honest, how many times do we go there? Like we're in the, the land of the free. We've got our freedoms. And Jesus' example to us was even when people want to kill you, God, would you forgive them because they don't know what they're doing? <sighs> Man, that is tough for me. I don't know how that sits with you today. But that's how much God loves us. I've got, I've got some points as we, as we end. Number one from, the, from our story, I believe you have to understand the real story. You notice how uh, the, the people Jesus is talking to there have a warped vision of the story. Uh, we could go back to the garden where uh, the serpent inserts this little you know, negative, well, maybe it's wrong type of feeling into Eve. So we have to be diligent to understand what the real story is. Are we telling ourselves the truth? Are we living a life that is following God? Are we, are we blind to the way we live towards others? Are we blind to how we're moving away from God though we claim to know God and to love God? Number two, which I think is very important for a lot of us to understand, is God is not out to get you. He's always trying to save you. That's the story of the Bible. So if you have grown up feeling like, again, that God is just waiting behind every corner, waiting for you to mess up so he can blot you out of the, the book of life or he can smack you with a hammer, that's not the story of the Bible. Talking about understanding the real story, God, over and over again, though people walk away, he moves in closer. You know, he begins walking in the garden with them. They move away. He begins living in the tabernacle, in the temple. They walk away. He said, you know what? I'll send my only son to walk with them side by side. Well, we'll kill him. And then you get Acts 2 where, where God says, you know what? I will send my Holy Spirit to live not just side by side but inside them. God is constantly trying to move closer to you though we stray. Though we walk away, though we decide that a different narrative is the way to go, that I want more, or that, God, you have left me out of some things, that one tree, I need that too. God keeps moving in. Now, God disciplines his people too. That's a part of it. But God is constantly trying to move in and trying to save you, not smack you. He's not out to get you. Number three, we need to tell the story. You need to understand the real story. You need to understand that God is out to save you, and you need to go tell somebody about that. Um, I think it was, uh, anybody know the, the magician's pen and teller? They've been around forever. I think it's pen. I had a video on this, and I, I couldn't find it this week, but uh, pen is an outspoken atheist. And he, had, he tells a story where a, a Christian came to, uh, I think, a couple of their shows like, and went back and talked with them and everything. He talked with them the first night. And the second night he comes back and he wanted to share like Jesus with him, an outspoken atheist. And what Penn says is, you know, I am, I am not changing my views on atheism. He said, but I do respect the guy. 
said, because if you're going to believe it, you better act like it. And if you believe that I'm out here on, on the fast train to hell, shouldn't you come out here and warn me about it? If I'm laying on the tracks about to die, the train's about to run me over, shouldn't you try to save me? Remember when I said a couple of weeks ago that in the scripture the outsiders get it a lot of times? That feels like one of those moments. It's like, oh yeah, we, we probably should live like that, shouldn't we? And we need to tell the story. I don't think necessarily that it that that completely involves every time you go somewhere that you go tell everybody. I think a lot of what this involves is how you're living your life. That if you're going to say, I, I, I love God, I'm going to worship him, I'm going to follow him, I, I love Jesus, and Jesus is part of my life, that should be evident. Fruits of the Spirit, right? They're evident. They're proofs that you are doing what you're saying you're doing, that God is evident in your life. So we go out and we tell the story. And that may be strange to people. It may be strange to, it, it was certainly strange in the first century that, that Christians would be worshiping someone who was crucified. A very shameful, and remember in that culture, honor and shame, a very shameful death. But we do. And we go to his story over and over, and we learn from our mistakes. Nobody raised their hand when I said anybody sinless in this room. Because God wants to have that relationship with you. And if you're here this morning and you have not begun that walk, please do that. Because another thing that, that Scripture teaches you is, is that you don't have to have it all together to come to God. We, we joke about, I've made a, a joke before, I know Josh did before me, I heard on one of his sermons. We talk about in the Churches of Christ a lot of times, we talk about being the first century church. And the question, the joke from preachers is, which one? They were all terrible. You know, Paul's, that's the reason we have Paul's letters, is to fix some things they were doing wrong. And so, though we're not trying to be wrong, you're going to make mistakes in life. Why don't you do it with Jesus at your side instead of walking alone? So if you haven't put on Jesus in baptism this morning, we'd love to, love to witness that. We can make that happen. Uh, if you have anything that, that the church can pray for at this moment, uh, we can praise God for, we'd love to do that. Uh, we're going to offer a time of invitation. I'd uh, love, to, love to pray with you. Uh, would you come as we stand and sing? Lord?